I wanted to uh, pray about the shooting in Charleston. And first I wanted to say, if you're a black person, we're very sorry that you, your race was attacked by somebody who was really touched by demons pretty big. Also, if you're a Christian, we're sorry because it was an attack, attack in a church, attack on Christianity, I believe. And if you're an American citizen, it was an attack on you. And if you're a visitor to the United States, we're sorry you had to come and experience this attack with us. And I do believe it was really the Lord, what God was doing at the camp this week with the spirit of fear because that's what the enemy wants to give people right now. If you accept that, that's going to really mess you up. So uh, I, that night, the first night, that was really what all night, I just felt like I was battling a, a spirit of fear that was trying to invite himself into my life. And <clears throat> But thank God we have, like Marlon prayed earlier, a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind to overcome this. And see, I believe the Lord's heart, the Lord wants to turn what happened to good. I believe the Lord wants to bring the believers of all races together. That's what I believe God wants to do. So I'm not too worried about this. Uh, I'm just praying that God would heal the families that were directly affected. Amen. God will do what only God can do. You know, and it's not really a good time, I think, for the people to be fault-finding and being political, in my opinion. That's just how I feel. I believe it's a time... Really, the call, you know, those people in that church, this is what they did. They forgave that man face to face. I think that people need to learn a lesson here. They, they forgave him, and also they worshipped. They, they had a memorial service for the pastor, and they were worshipping the Lord in this. So there's a power that's available where enemy brought negative and death. There's a power getting released. And I believe that's what we have to tap into is that. So let's just pray. Father, thank you this morning for uh, that you did give us a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. So, Lord, if anybody in this room or anybody we know that we care about and that we have influence over, Lord, we're just speaking love, power, and a sound mind. We condemn the spirit of fear. Lord, we declare over those people in Charleston, South Carolina, We declare over black people, black people who love you, black people who don't know that they love you yet, Lord, white people, uh, and everything in between, Lord. We declare, Lord, that you have a heart to bring nations and races together. And we believe in heaven we will all be mingled and there will not be a division. So, Lord, you are saying you want to bring heaven to earth. And so we declare that over Charleston, South Carolina. We declare it over the AME Zion Church, Lord, over the people there. Lord, over our government. Lord, do something. Do something, Lord. Do something. Lord, do a miracle. Lord, What when everybody said we're down for the count, Lord, I pray you'd come in and say you're up for the count. And I believe, Lord, the body of Christ can come forth in this hour. Lord, I pray, Lord, you would silence the false finders, Lord, because finding fault hides the favor and glory of God from us. And so, Lord, we just break that off in our minds today to point our fingers and point blame. Father, we pray for the family of that man who did such a terrible thing. We pray that somehow 
that you would meet those people because those are human beings that you died for. Even that man, Lord, he needs to know Christ. Lord, I pray he'd get delivered from the demons. I pray that forgiveness and people spoke over him would rack his soul and free him from that demonic bondage and lies over his life. I pray he'd free his family. Lord, I pray for those who want to bring retribution. I pray in the middle of those thoughts that you would walk into those thoughts. Holy Spirit, we invite you into the United States today. We invite you into every church, Lord, regardless of their denomination, but regardless of their beliefs, we invite you to come. We invite you into every club, every party place, every bar, Lord, every place, every place, every sex club, Lord, Lord, every home, uh, every mayor, every city councilman, every governor, Lord, every president, every congress, every senator, Lord, we invite you, Supreme Court, Lord, help them make right decisions, not decisions based on political correctness. We curse it in the name of Jesus, Lord. We curse that that lie over us that we had to be political correct. Lord, we are going to be correct according to your heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for being here today, if you're a father. And so this is great. We'll get through early so you can take your dad out to a really fine restaurant and give him lots of money and, you know... Yeah, amen. I'm, come on, Dad. Golf clubs, yes, sir. In fact, my daughter gave me a card that said, it's, time, it's Father's Day, it's time to take a long walk in the woods. And you opened it up and said, in other words, playing golf. Because if you play golf much, you're going to walk long in the woods. <laughs> Look, we know it's a bad day at golf when you bring more golf, homes, golf balls home with you than you took because you found all the lost balls as you look for your one lost ball. That's why I have so many of those. Anyways, I wanted to read this this morning to you. This is really good today. Um, thank God. I was, I'm so excited to be able to share this with you because it's a sort of a mixture of something the Lord's been speaking to me powerfully for a long time, but it's also about Father's Day. Uh, and, you know, I'm not the kind of person who comes up with, with messages on holidays really well, but this one is, I pray it would really bless you. I want to read Acts 7, 17 through 30. And I'm reading it out of the New American Standard Bible because I just like this one phrase that they use better than the other translation. This is... If you ever want to know a concise history of Israel, Acts 7 has it. If you don't feel like reading the rest of the Bible, if you're lazy and read all, you know, chapters after chapter, book after book, Acts 17 just gives a great, and this is Stephen, uh, when he stood before men that were going to kill him. And he gave this great account of the history of Israel. In fact, there's things in this that you don't find in the Old Testament. Little, little things, little, little interesting things that kind of shed light that were not recorded in the Old Testament. But here he is talking about Moses. He says, But at the time of promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. And that was just the way the world goes. Uh, life goes on, and, you know, people forget real easy, you know, 
So just remember that. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after that, he had been set outside. Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptian, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Later it says Moses claimed he couldn't speak, but here it says he can. Isn't that interesting? I can't talk, God send my brother. And here it says he's a great man of power in his words and deeds. But just giving you a little information, make you think. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind. Isn't it interesting that things enter your mind? Okay, to visit his brethren, the sons of... In other words, Moses knew who he was. He knew he was a Jew. He knew he was not an Egyptian. He knew his real nature. This is so wonderful. Uh, And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. In other words, he killed a guy. And he supposed... Uh huh. Everybody gets a supposing sometimes that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. But they did not understand. Uh Uh-oh. Let me just warn people who feel a calling to do ministry. That fits you. They will not understand. (laughs) Just go ahead and accept that. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. Two, Two Israelis got in a fight. Two good Christian brothers, right? And he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor, in other words, the one who was beating the fire out of his neighbor, pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years, everybody say 40 years. 40 years went by and then an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. Isn't that powerful? I want to ask you something. I'm just going to give you some thoughts. How many people in this room don't feel this way? How many people feel that significance... Be doing great things or doing accomplishing anything of value is really for other people. How many people have ever thought that? How many people have accepted that the good things, the things of, of, of living a full life and living the things that, that would make life wonderful really is not for you? Anybody felt that in this room? Mercy, what's, y'all are some awesome people in this room if you never felt that. You know, lots of times when we look in, in the Bible... We look at these wonderful people like Moses who did extravagant things and who did amazing things. And thousands and thousands of years later, we're reading about these people, about what they did and how, all the things they accomplished and how God used them in such, such wonderful ways. But we forget that we're looking at the end of their story not, and we forget the beginning of their story. We forget that people walk through things in their life. We, we forget that Moses, even though it seemed like he had a wonderful life and God used him mightily and we quote him and, and, and long to experience some of the things that Moses experienced, we forget that when he was, there was a genocide going on in the world he lived in. A genocide. 
And he was one of the people who was targeted to be, to be killed. It says it nicely there. They put him outside. Literally, they put him in a crocodile-infested river and pushed him off in a little wicker basket, hoping and praying the crocodiles wouldn't eat him, that somebody would find him. And somebody did. The problem was the person who find, found him, their daddy was the one who was killing everybody. So I think we're idealistic sometimes when we think that Moses grew up in this home knowing that he was a symbol to everybody who saw him. Every Jewish person who saw him, he was a symbol to them of that God didn't meet them. Why didn't God meet me? He's alive. My baby's dead. You think about that for a minute. That's the life that Moses lived in the same house of the man who killed his race. And we think he had an easy life. We think everything was cool. He got saved. He got reconciled. He, he's good. He's learned. He's learned in all the, the ways of the Egyptians. And we don't look at things right in the Bible. And then he kills a guy. Kills a guy. Murders a guy. So you know that man had so much pain in his life that he had to deal with. Had a lot of pain in his life. A lot of pain in his heart. A lot of things that he struggled to reconcile. Y'all following this? But I wanted to just get you thinking about that. I wanted to point out the one thing in here that I think is powerful. is how God looks at us. You see... They weren't looking at Moses. The people weren't looking at Moses as a lovely child. He was just another child. But God, it says here in verse 20, he was lovely in the sight of God. He was lovely in the sight of God. Before he did anything, before anything happened to him, God looked at him. Another scripture, another version says he was beautiful in the sight of God. Another scripture says he was accepted in the sight of God. In other words, God looked at this child and saw something in him. God loved him, cared about him. And in God's eyes, this is a beautiful, a beautiful baby and a beautiful man and a beautiful life he, God wanted to give him. You don't know what I'm talking about? Because we only saw the end of Moses' life, the, the outcome of Moses' life. We don't think about the beginning. But God saw the beginning. So I think a lot of people, uh, we start our lives and, you know... As, Children, most children, even children in very difficult situations have dreams and have imaginations and have a creativity about them and they they dream of a life that they're going to have. You know, they dream of a life that they're going to have. I'm sure Moses and all the people in the Scripture dreamed of that life. You know, they say somewhere around 12 12 years old we begin to lose our imagination, we begin to lose our creativity. We begin to look at life different. Isn't that something? You know? This is one thing I found about people. God believed in Moses. He really did. God believed in Moses. Believed he was beautiful, believed he was awesome. But nobody else believed that about Moses. Nobody believed it. And Moses ran away, ran away from all that. He had to run away. He had to get away. He ran away from who he was. He ran away from his destiny. 
and spent 40 years out there wandering around until finally God showed up one day and began to speak to him again, began to remind him of who he really is and really what, what God put in him. And God began to give Moses perspective on life. He began to heal his heart and heal his thoughts, heal his mind about why he went through what he went through and why God had used all that to prepare him for that moment to meet God and to prepare him to do one of the greatest things ever in history, to divide the Red Sea, to walk a million, two million people out of bondage. All of that, God began to give him a different view of his life and caused him to remember his life differently than the way Moses knew exactly how the Egyptians saw. He knew how to talk to them. He knew how to deal with them because he was raised with them. And suddenly the wisdom of God in his life began to be revealed. And people started believing in Moses. It wasn't just God that believed in him. You see, most people, and probably a lot of you in this room, you don't feel like people believe in you. I found, some, this is something that happened to me. I, I've had some encounters with the Lord that were a little odd for my encounters. I had somebody tell me recently, a few months, couple, it's been about a month ago now. They said, Byron, I believe in you. This was not a significant, you know, leader, major person. This was an average person. I was telling him about some of the things I would like to do. And he said, Byron, I believe in you. And when he said that, it had a major impact on me. It touched me that somebody actually would say to me, I believe in you. I believe in who you are. I believe in what God's put in you. And see, everybody needs it. I know people who are ruined spiritually, who are ruined in their life because nobody believes in them. Their family don't believe in them. And they have all this gifting, they have all this talent, and nobody, they don't have anybody around them that's telling them they believe, I believe in you. And, I, and when you tell people that, it, it has such an impact on them when you can say it to them sincerely. People are not stupid. Don't just say stuff to people. But I wanted to tell you... Uh, a few months ago, this is several months ago, I'm going to tie all this together for you, about somebody who believed in me. It was my daddy. I, a few months ago, I was leaving here to the church, and it was nice weather outside, so I was sort of strolling along, taking my time, getting home. And, and God spoke to me, and he said, he asked me a question. This is the question. It was it's just, you know, out of the blue kind of question, something you're not even thinking about. What is the most significant things that your mother and your father gave you. What is the most significant thing that your mother and your father gave you? And it just stopped me in my tracks. And I began to think about it. I began to think about the significant... I, had, I don't know about you, but I, let me just say this before I go down. I, I lived sort of a rough life growing up. I'm, what I'm going to tell you sounds really awesome, but it was the really beautiful part of my life that I didn't really see, okay, until recently. And this question from God helped me to see something I haven't never seen before, okay, because I tended to see the bad things in, in my, my childhood and the way I was raised. And it really had, gave me a bad, it led me, or it led me astray in my thinking. But when God, began, when God asked me that question, it caused me to go on this journey and begin to see what God gave me, begin to help me to see. And so that was, a, that was a, one of the first things that came to my mind is my daddy really believed in me, and he let me know he believed in me. He let me know. Daddy was never the kind of person who would tell me, you can't do that. He told me a couple times, I wouldn't do that if I were you. But he would never tell me, he would never tell me anything. You can't do it. In fact, his was the opposite. If that's what you want to do, go do it. 
he, he, one of his sayings to me is always aim high because people miss, they, they tend to hit below where they aim. So aim real high. And think big about your life. Don't think little about your life. I, would, I can remember as a little boy telling my daddy these, these fantasy stories of stuff I was going to do. And I can remember him sitting there listening to me intently. He would never tell me, that's not real, Byron. He would listen to me. He would just sit there and listen to me and give me attention. And somehow it made me know that I could do this. I could, I could do something. When I didn't have answers for my life, that my dad gave me answers. When I, didn't know what, when I was in high school, I didn't know what to do with my life. You know what my daddy said? I can tell you some things you can do. Here's a few options. And I, and I said, well, which one would, would, what should I do then? If you were me, which one would you do, Daddy? And one of the options was go to school and be an electrical engineer because that, that's a good future. That's why I did it. <laughs> that's the only reason I did it. And, my, and I said, I don't know if I can do that because you have to be good in math. He said, no, you can do that. You can do that. And when I was questioning myself, once like I got in school, I don't think I can do this. This is really hard. <laughs> no, you can do this. I know you can do this. When I became a pastor, you know what my daddy told me? And I was, I think I've told you this before, I was really nervous about telling my daddy I was going to be a pastor because I went to school and I'd been successful as an engineer. So I was sweating it. He was the last person I wanted to tell because I felt like I was going to disappoint him. I didn't want to disappoint him. You know what he said to me when I said that? He said, I always knew that. (laughs) That's what he said. I always knew that. And so having somebody in your life that believes in you is major. And, and that's why I'm saying we, we've got to quit being fault-finding people. We've got to quit looking at each other with fault in our eyes and start looking at people and start seeing what's in that person's heart and start speaking to that. Now, my daddy had a lot of faults. I could tell you a lot of his bad faults, but I'm telling you this, that one thing in him is that he, would, he celebrated me. He loved me. And he wanted me to know that. Here's the other thing my daddy did, and he didn't so much as say this, is he, this, this was more about of an impartation that he gave me, is my daddy was a nonconformist. Okay? He did not conform to society on any day. I mean, period. He... In his heart, I mean, this is the honest truth. I've thought about this a lot. He was the most genuine person I have ever been around in my life. He was genuinely himself. He was the same person at home, at the store, at church. He was the same person everywhere. He never hid. The only thing, he wouldn't cuss in certain places because he had a bad, he would cuss. You know, in other words, he cussed. You know, but he, this is, he, but he chose, this is what he, he chose the road less traveled in life. Okay? He didn't choose what everybody else was choosing. Okay? I, I remember this one story that really has stuck with me, and it was a negative for me for a long time because it was so embarrassing and humiliating at the time. But now when I look at it, I think, oh gosh, that was awesome. When I was uh, in the eighth grade, There was this school bond thing. You know what school bond? They wanted to build new schools, so there was an election about school bonds. And my daddy was totally against that for whatever reasons, okay? He just was like, "Mm mm-mm, no, vote no, no, sir. That is not the right thing to do, okay? Well, 
You know what he did? He made these things, these cardboard things that said vote no for the school bonds on whatever date it was and put them on, he cut them out and made them the the back seat, the back window in the car and put it on the car. Okay, well, that was like, dude, I didn't really like that, but this is what really got bad. He came to school one day to pick us up. The last place you want to go with a vote no on school bonds onto a school ground. It, it, was, it was bad. I remember getting in the car. Fortunately, I was in the back seat with them, that pasteboard, where nobody could see me sitting back there. But I remember some kids running over there and making a big ruckus about that. I heard one person like, yeah, vote no. <laughs> but all the other kids were like jeering and... and uh, it was, I was totally embarrassed. In fact, we had some friends going home with us this day. And I, when I'm like, why did you, why? They were humiliated. They were sitting in the front seat. Everybody could see them. They didn't know I was back there. The next day, you get to school, okay? And the teachers are talking about it. And I'm thinking, yeah, who was it? But now when I think about it, I'm like, yeah. Go, Daddy. You are not afraid to be different. You were not afraid to say and be who you were. You didn't care what people thought. You cared because you had a convictions in your heart and you lived those convictions. You lived them to the best of your ability. You lived your convictions. And I'm telling you, he never said that to me. He never, I, he, a few times he would ask me, like, why do you want to be like everybody else? It was talking about in style. Why do you want to be like everybody else? You know, that was questions he asked me. But somehow or another, he gave me this thing in me that's, well, it's just like everybody's, li- oh, listen, have you heard the latest? I don't really want to listen to that. If everybody's listening to it, why don't I want to listen to that? <laughs> Y'all heard that. I want, I want to hear something that nobody's hearing. I mean, I'm just saying that's what my daddy imparted to me, and I consider it one of the most valuable things in my life spiritually. Let me tell you something, daddies. Whether you know it or not, you are imparting something to your children. You, you really are. You, you know one thing my dad did for years? He would go to school at night. He loved to learn. He loved it. He was never, he just had this hunger for learning. And when he was an old, when he, at the end of his life, I had a lot of time to talk to him. And I asked him about that. Like, why, you know, you loved to learn, didn't you, Dad? He said, yeah, I did. He said, but to tell you the truth, there was another reason I go to school at night is somehow I wanted my children to get a love for learning. That's what he said to me. I wanted my children to get a love for learning. So I went to school at night. He didn't pound on us to get a love for learning. He just tried to to have a love for learning. So whatever you're doing, you're going to impart it to your children. You're going to give it to your family by who you are. And and see, that's the thing. You've got to find out who you really are because you want them to get what's real. You, you want them to get the real you. You've got to find your voice, and you've got to speak that voice. That's what you've got to do. You've got to speak that voice, because that is going to affect the people around you. It's going to affect your children. They're going to get that voice. You do not want to give them a wrong voice. You don't want to give them a false voice. You know, um, one of the things that, that I believe about the scripture 
and I, I can thank Daddy for that, is I don't believe the Scripture on any day teaches conformity. I, I, I really don't. I feel like there's no such thing as conformity in the Bible. I think the church has bought into a lie about conformity. I think we have become a community of, com, of, being, of conforming. And, and, and conformity is celebrated in the church, and I think it should be, I should, I think it should be kicked out of the church. That's how I really feel. I think creativity is what the Bible teaches. I think the Bible teaches living a life that nobody else is living. Well, let me just, let me just read this scripture to you. This is really in the Bible. Becky and I were talking about this this morning, about, the, about colors. The colors in the Bible, this is not what I was going to read to you. Is I read this interesting thing about colors. I think, I'm not sure about the percentage, but 70 to, I think it's 78% of people like the color blue. I happen to be one of them. And I love that. I don't mind running with the pack because I dearly love the color blue. Okay? Here's the interesting thing. They, they, they say you can take the other 20 to 30% of, of people who like different colors, like yellow or pink or whatever, and they can be easily easily swayed to adopt blue as their color. <laughs> They've proven this over and over, and it just tells you what's in the heart of a man who's not in touch with God is we have a tendency to default into conformity. That was the whole point, is people conform because 80% of people in the room like blue. I need to like blue too. Something's wrong with me. I don't like blue. What's wrong with me? I like pink. I love pink. Everybody else likes blue. I like blue because I want to be like everybody else. I want to sing the same song everybody else is singing, say the same thing, and think the way everybody else thinks. And we celebrate that, but I think we should say, no, no, don't like it if you don't like it. If you like it, like it well. But if you don't like it, that's cool. But I'm not going to change me liking blue just because you like yellow and vice versa. Anyways, are y'all engaging with this? Matthew 4, 17. This is amazing. Let me say this about this verse. The whole entire New Testament sets on this verse. This is the foundation of every teaching. In fact, this is the first teaching, preaching that Jesus did in the Bible. This is his first one. He said some stuff before you. There's a difference between saying and preaching. This is his first message. And every message he ever preached was founded on this. Every message Paul preached, every message Peter, John, every word that's written in the Bible is built on this one verse right here. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what I want to say to you, I believe that's one of the most creative statements in the Bible. Because we've, we've made it about one thing. We've made it about sin. That is not what it's about. It is not about sin. Or just about sin. Maybe that would be more accurate. Yeah, it includes sin. But it's about the way you think. Because repent means change the way you think. Jesus was saying, listen, change the way you think. Because heaven is right here and it is loaded with different thoughts. And if you will take, begin to receive those thoughts, you can see life different. That's what he was trying to tell people. You'll see that sin thing that you so want to do differently and you'll stop doing it. Because as a man thinks, so is he. I mean, it's a powerful, creative statement when you think about it. Paul picked up on this. Listen to this. Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to this world. Don't conform. 
Don't conform. And see, that's what the church has done. We conform to how the world operates. We may not conform in the sense of, well, the world likes bad music, but we conform in what everybody likes this style of music, therefore we like this style. That's conforming to the world. Are y'all following that? And, and this, don't form to the world, but be transformed by the Holy Spirit. This is my translation. Coming into your mind and bringing those thoughts, those different thoughts into your mind. God is not for conformist. I'm just telling you now. He's for creativity. He's for seeing life different. He's for being different. He's for being true and being real. That's what God is for. And that's what God is urging the church on in this day, I really believe. Well, he isn't me anyway. If you, now, here's the thing. If you don't let God into your soul, into your mind, you can never really be your real self. You can never really do this. It doesn't work apart from him. You know, he has... And see, that was the thing I saw in my daddy, is there was areas of his life where God was not in there. Okay? And those were some dark areas. But by the end of his life, God got into those places. You know, and he was able to see differently and think differently about those things and make things right with God about those things because that darkness will cause you to do things you shouldn't do. Are y'all following this? I wanted to say this um, about children also is there was a study done by William and Mary Mary University and what they found with children since 1990, creative scores have consistently inched downward in the United States. Creative scores have consistently inched downward. And they said, it is very clear and the, dec- and the decrease is very significant. And this is what they said, it's the scores of younger children in America from kindergarten through sixth grade from whom the decline is most serious. And they go on and talk about some of the things they believe. One of the things they believe is the education system in the United States. Because the education system is in the conformist. It's standardized testing. All this, I don't know anything, okay? But I do know one thing. They're not teaching children and giving children a chance to be creative in their thinking. And therefore, they're losing their creativity. And they went on to say this has serious ramifications for the United States. Because the, the greatest CEOs in the United States are some of the most creative people there are. You need people who can think creative to solve the problems that we have in America today. Instead of jumping up when something bad happens and, and giving some rhetoric and stating your political position or stating your, your little empty philosophy, we need people who have answers, creative thoughts from God to, to speak into these situations. And it's true. I believe what they're saying is really true. Now, I'm not, you know, people just take that information, but I'm praying, Lord, we need to teach creativity. This same study, they went all over the world to study school systems. One of them in particular they went to was China. And they were amazed at some of the things the Chinese are doing with their students. And, and here's what one of the Chinese educators said. You guys are running as hard as you can the way we used to do school and it doesn't work and we are running as hard as we can the way y'all used to do school and that's why we have such geniuses in our school 
It's, we've reversed it. Yeah. And this is, this is, you know, people who know stuff. I don't know anything. But I think what I believe, what I feel like God is trying to do, He's trying to awaken us. Okay? I think He's trying to wake us up. I think He's trying to, trying to release something to us. This is what the Lord told me in 2004. This is when we changed the name of our church. He told me there was two things that he wanted for this church. He said, you're not creative in this church. That's what he told me. This is what he told me today. And you need to be more focused on evangelism, missions. And so we, you know, duh. We're going to try to do this now. We're going to try to be creative. You know, what the heck does that mean? I'm going to try to be creative. <laughs> and what I, you know, I think we've done pretty good on the mission thing. I mean, we can always do better, right? We can always do more evangelism. We can always do more missions. But we, you know, that's something, you know, God's given us a lot of insight and wisdom about. You know, I feel like, you know, with the creativity, you know, we made some, some ground. But here's where I feel like we missed it is we've reserved creativity for certain things. We've reserved it for musicians. And thank God for musicians who are creative, right? We love that. I mean, we would never, because worship, worship is the essence, is the essence of who we are. So they were singing the song. They were singing our DNA when they said, I was made to love. I thought, if I had to boil my DNA down in my, my life, that is why I'm here on this earth, is to love God. That's why I want to do church. I want to do church that loves God. You know, and I I like what Denial did. (laughs) He changed the words, I was made to be loved by you because you can't love him without being loved by him first. But that's, that's, to me, that's everything. If you had to sum it down, I live for that. And that's why worship and music is so important. And, you know, we tried the artist thing for a while, you know. Get somebody who's an artist. I love that. But all that's not it. Because we're, what about all the engineers? What about all the school teachers? What about the plumbers and electricians? The auto mechanics? The people who are living life? What about them? Where do they fit in? Oh, let's go watch the creative people. <laughs> and wish we were one of them because we're, but we're not. That's what I feel like that says sometimes. But that's a lie. And see, we've got, we got to take it away. Just not take it away from them, but we've got to say, hey, I'm creative too. Yeah. We, let me tell you what happened. We went to, this is crazy. This was, this was the craziest thing I ever did in my life, almost. It's, it's ranking up there pretty high in terms of going and doing a, a deal. We went to Jonathan Helser. He did an adult creative weekend. Oh, gosh. Becky and I went. And they have you in there painting and doing poetry. And I'm thinking, uh-uh, now I can't do any of this. In fact, you wouldn't have believed how ugly it was. It was this ugly. It's like, oh, God, nobody would look at that. That's ugly. That would, they would want you to get deliverance if they saw that. They actually brought it back and hid it up there. And thought, get, throw that away, you know. Throw that away. But, and I realized, Lord, I'm not creative. 
But that was a lie. That was a huge lie. It's true. As some, I think I mentioned this. I heard this statement. I don't have a creative bone in me, but I have a creative soul in me. Because God himself is in my soul. And see, that's where we had to start seeing this thing. And we had to begin to redefine what creativity looks like. We really do. We had, to, we had to make room for other people to be creative. And celebrate that like we celebrate somebody who can rip a guitar like there's no tomorrow. You know? And I love that. Are, are y'all following this? This is really, really great. And I think this is what one of the things that God wants to do for people is to heal them, to see that they have something. God created you. See, that's what my daddy gave me. He, he made me believe that God created me uniquely and I had something in me that was real. And I didn't have to copy Marlon and have dreadlocks to be a cool-looking guy. <laughs> it would be a rough day doing that anyway, honestly. <laughs> But like I told people, I'm just, there's a couple of things I'm glad of. I'm glad they didn't have dreadlocks that popular in my day, and I'm glad they didn't have tattoos. Because I'd have been covered in tattoos and had dreadlocks. Because I love that kind of stuff. But at my age, you, well, that's probably not going to work. I'm probably not going to look good with dreadlocks and tattoos at this point in my life. Let other people have them. But uh, I don't know what I'm saying there. Are you okay? I'm just saying... God wants to find us to find our voice, our true self, and He wants us to quit echoing everybody else. Would you just stop echoing everybody else? I mean, seriously. Stop echoing. And I don't do Facebook, but I hear about stuff on Facebook. It's just one reprint of reprint of reprint of reprint. And I'm thinking, what in the world was wrong with the Christians? Don't they have anything original to say? I mean, find something original from God and say that instead of, wow, look what so-and-so said. You know, that's why when somebody, you know, the popular books are like, have you read that? No, not really. I don't want to read it because you're going to tell me all about it. I don't need to read it. <laughs> and everybody else is going to tell me all about it. And I don't need to read it. I want to read something nobody reads, you know, old books and stuff. <laughs> but this is what the Lord was showing me about the Father's blessing in terms of creativity. This is what I feel like he's been showing me. It's, he's showing me, I've given you everything. I'm going to put this in an artist's perspective because that's how he brought it to me. I've given you the canvas. I've given you the paint. The paintbrushes. The easel. I've given all that to you. And I've given you my presence. Now pick that thing up and start painting. Create a life. Create what's in there. Look inside of you and begin to create that out here. Be what's in here out there. And if you don't know what it is, God will help you do that. That's what He does. His presence will bring that out. And don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Don't even care what they think. Because it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, when you get to heaven again, God's going to say, this was the picture we agreed on before you went to earth. Let's see the picture you drew. You know what I think is going to be beautiful about that day? It ain't going to look exactly the same. And God's going to say, wow, that's so cool that you did it that way. I love that. In other words, God has given us 
creative license. Yes. Exactly. To, be in, be, to create your life. To communicate your life. Here's the key. You've got to let him into your soul. You've got to let him into you. I wanted to use this one example before I quit because I love this example. David Romage's 70th birthday. Happy birthday, 72, right? He's 72. Yeah. I went to his 70th birthday party, okay? Now, I, I, was, I was amazed at what I saw. I saw pictures of a little boy, David Romage, with a rope in his hand. A little boy. And that's how he's lived his life. And I thought, that man, that's what we all got to do. That was what was in his heart. His heart was to be a cowboy. I was like, he, I told you the story he told. The preacher was coming to his house, and his mom was saying, now you tell that preacher when he asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm telling you you want to be a preacher. <laughs> well, the preacher came. What do you want to be when you grow up, little David? How old were you, David? He was three or four years. What do you want to be when you grow up, little David? I want to be a, I want to be a cowboy. <laughs> I want to be a roper. That's, that's what I'm talking about now. It's in you. It don't have to be some spirit. If it's a great spiritual thing, awesome. Whatever it is, it's God. Because God created you. He put Himself in you. He breathed in you. And He wants that to come forth. And when we do that, we are celebrating God. And we're celebrating His creation the way He wanted us to do. Can I give you just one more scripture? That, well, wait a minute. The Father's heart, that's His presence, His provision. He's given you everything. And He's going to give you the security to do this. Because this, this can be a little risky. Because you're probably going to fail some. I'm not trying to... Let's just go ahead and just face it. You are going to fail at being yourself. And a lot of times you're going to be in, fail in front of people. And they're going to tell you, I told you so. But don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. When our children are learning to walk, they fall. What do we say? I tell you, don't walk. Just stay over here. We don't do that. No, we're like, oh, you're all right. Get up. Keep going. It's going to be all right. You're going to walk great. You're going to be the best walker on the planet. That's what we do. And that's how God is up in heaven. Like, oh, don't worry. You, were going to, you thought you were going to be a preacher. Look how you fell. Don't worry about it. You're going to be the best preacher ever. I'm going to listen to your messages. You shall fail. Anyway, I just wanted to, so that's security that the Father gives you. I want to read this one wonderful scripture that God spoke to me recently also. Jeremiah 18, everybody knows this, 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house where I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something on a wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay, that's us, right? Was spoiled in the hand. We're all spoiled. The world has spoiled us. We have, we're all broken. We all have issues. We all, things have hurt us. None of us are perfect, and, but we're in the hands of the potter. That's what's so cool about it. Um, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. It's like the father's the potter, okay? And there's places in everybody in this room's life where he's got his hand. Now this is really what I want you to hear. 
He's got his hand in a place in your life. There's a place in your life that's not working. Okay? There's a place in your life that don't look right, don't look good. Don't f- if something is broken in your life. Right? I mean, I got some broken places in my That's exactly where God wants to put his hand. He wants to take that and put it on that place and touch it and fix it so you can be what he's called you to be. That's, that's all he's asking. And so if his hand's on your finances, that's a broken place. If his hand's on relationship, that's a broken place. And he's trying to, he's trying to do something to help you, the real you, the real you, get out of that prison that the door is open because Christ opened the door. And we're sitting in this prison. I sit in the prison of years. I'm not a creative person. I can't do this. And the Lord was saying, that's a lie. Get out of there. Get out of that prison. Get out of that prison. I just thank the Lord that God is a father to us. You know, God's a father. God believes in you. He believes in you and who He created you to be. And He believes in everything about you. And He wants you to know that today. And I believe God wants to put people in your life that will believe in you. Not for what they can get out of you, but just they just believe in you because they see. You know, God give us those kind of people that can believe in us. And not, oh, I need them, I need their whatever. No, no, it's not about that. It's about... You know, I just ask the Lord you give everybody in this room people in their life that would really believe in them. Just believe in them. And they would tell them that. They would say, I believe in you. And I really encourage you to be that person for somebody. Or somebody. Just tell them, I believe in you. Don't stop. I believe in you. Get up. Come on. You can do this. Be who you are. And I pray the Lord will help you be a non-conformist. You know, don't conform to things. The only thing we're really supposed to conform to is the image of Christ. And that image in me is going to look a little different than that image in Rachel Murdoch, Linda Ging. It's going to look a diff- little bit different. That's okay. We want it to be that way. No clones in God's house. <laughs> There used to be no guns in God's house. Now it's no clones. <laughs> now we have... Anyways, Lord. So we're going to have the ministry team come. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, the kids. Come on. Come on out here, y'all. Help them. Help them. We want to pray for anybody who wants prayer. Thank you, Lord. The Lord's good, isn't he? I hope you heard a good word for you this morning. Sure. This is something that uh, Ken Houser shared with us this week. Uh, last year he shared it in a little bit more detail, but he shared it briefly this week. Was um, When he was a little boy, and he's an artist. For those of you who don't know Ken Houser, he's an amazing artist. And when he was a little boy, he asked his mom for a paint set for Christmas. And he really, really wanted this paint set that had like, you know, 40 colors in it. It, had like, it was like oil pastels, and it had all these different colors. And so at Christmas time came, and he gets this paint set, and it only has the primary colors. The, you know, the four, four or five primary colors. And he was so disappointed because he was like, oh, I really wanted that one with all the colors. And his mom explained to him that when he, she went to 
buy the paint set. She had enough money to buy them, the full set. But the guy at the store, at the art store, said, don't do it. You'll ruin his creativity if you give him all the colors. He has to learn to take the primary colors and mix them and create, you know, just with the, with the primary things. So I think sometimes people really think, and this is what he was telling our kids, is that they think they don't have all that they need from the Lord, and the Lord's given you certain things, and you need to just take those things and be creative with them and have that creative liberty that you were talking about, the creative license to just do what he's given you to do with what he has given you. And then use that to get creative and get, and get, you know, get with the Lord with what he's actually put in you. And, and make up some colors for yourself. Okay? So, anyways, these guys are all here to pray for you. And we really had some breakthrough on fears this week. So, you know, definitely if you have any fears. And also, a lot of these guys are really super, super creative. Guys and girls are super creative. So if you really want to ask the Lord for creative, you know, juices to start flowing and what that means to you, you know, ask them to pray for you on that. They have really just, I mean, y'all, this is an awesome group of kids right here. And we're so blessed. I mean, really. And like Hunter said, you know, he was brand new coming into this group, and we had a few other kids who were brand new, and they came in, and they were like, I felt so welcome. And that's really a testament to this group of kids. You guys as kids, just welcome them with open arms. And, and we really, some, sometimes when you have new kids come to camp, they can be a bit of a wild card. You know, you're kind of like, yeah, you don't know what to expect. But we've been so blessed. Us leaders have been so blessed to be able to, you know, have these kids at camp. And it's just been amazing. So I'd love, if you need prayer, I'd love to have them lay hands on you and pray pray for them. So come on down.